Eric Landon is a world-renowned Dutch artist famous for his skill in pottery. He travels the world displaying his skills, but more importantly, teaching classes in the hopes of passing those skills on to other artists and other potters. And what's really unique about his work and the classes that he leads is that he, when he makes a piece of art or a piece of pottery, knowing that he cannot take that piece of pottery with him when he's done, he finds a very creative way, uh, and he's developing ways to destroy his piece of art. And if you see his pieces of art, they're beautiful, and the shock that people have on their faces when he, he, usually, he usually puts his mouth on the pottery and blows it up to the point that it ex- explodes. And people are shocked because it's so beautiful. And the way that he puts it, Uh, as he destroys his work, is it's his way of letting his peace go, as he says. And this morning, we'll be talking about another potter. That's why we sang that song there. I love the words of that song, canvas and clay, that you are the potter. God, we are the clay. This morning, we're going to talk about another potter, a master potter. But unlike Mr. Landon, when God destroys his work, if you will, his piece of work, a masterpiece. He does it with a purpose. And the intention that he will not leave that piece of art, that masterpiece, destroyed. He will remake it to be what he wants it to be and what he envisions it to be. In our text this morning, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18. You can turn there in your Bibles on your devices. God sends the prophet Jeremiah to the potter's shop, and you're like, that's really weird. Why in the world would you send a, a, a prophet to a, a potter's shop? Well, he did it for a very important reason, for a very important message, and it was kind of like when he sent Jeremiah to this potter's shop, it was kind of like Mr. Rogers took us all of those years to go. If you're my age and above and maybe slightly below, you will remember this is, to me, one of the most memorable episodes of Mr. Rogers. He took us all to the crayon factory. You remember the crayon factory? Oh man, I, re- I remember that episode. It's so great. To see how crayons are made. And in the same way, God takes Jeremiah behind the scenes, if you will, to get a glimpse of what God is doing through the picture and through this parable of pottery. Some have likened this story uh, to it being a bring your prophet to work day. It's almost like God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I need you to pay attention really close here. Now you're going to get to see what the Father really does. Because I know that there are a lot of us who are sitting here this morning, some of us who are watching online, and if you're like the average human being, you've got about 10,000 things going on in your life. And it seems like sometimes 9,999 of those things are not great. And they're testing, and they're trying, and we ask God, why? Why would you do this? And this morning, this is such an important message, I feel like, for every single person. Connects so well, it can, there's no way that it can't connect. Because what we're going to see this morning is that God has an ability, He has a way of taking all things and putting them together in just the right way for His plan and for His purpose. Jeremiah chapter 18, first few verses. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He was always giving messages to Jeremiah, and they were usually very odd the way that they worked out. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as I was told, and I found the potter working at his will, but the jar he was making, for some reason, 
didn't turn out as he had hoped, and so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? And as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And when we read those words, we think naturally about what? The book of Jonah, a prophet sent to a people who he thought there's no way these people will turn their lives around. And what did they do? They turn their lives around. God relents and he saves the people of Nineveh. And if I announce that I will plant and I will build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Who is, who is God talking about here in this instance? He's talking about none other than Israel. I've given you everything, Israel. I've promised to bless you, Israel, and yet you have not walked in the ways of the Lord. Therefore, verse 11, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. And then listen to verse 12. This is to me so indicative of the human heart. But the people replied, Jeremiah, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to stubbornly following our own evil desires. Do you hear the arrogance in that statement? God says, I will I'll bless you. I will keep you in all things. If you would just listen to me, I'm warning you to turn your life around. Nah, we'll keep doing things our own way. Now, it's been said that art, any kind of art really, is the expression of someone's heart. And if that is really the case, and I believe it is, at least in some sense, true, then this story this morning will give us a glimpse into the heart of the Father. And guys, if we come to the end of this, and I, you already see it in this story, there's so much good news in this story. There's a whole lot of bad in this story, a whole lot of struggle, a whole lot of pain in this story, but there is ultimately good that can come from this story. In this visual parable in Jeremiah, we get a, a grand view. We talked last week about God being holy. We get another grand view, another trait of God's. And I think it's one of his most important character traits right there with his holiness. And that is his sovereignty. And I say that word and you're like, oh yeah, sovereign. And I get that. We, we, we've heard about sovereign, sovereign countries or territories or about sovereign rulers, but by and large in our day and age and our emphasis on total autonomy that I am my own person, I chart my own path, I make my own rules, I think that we've lost or we've rejected this truth of sovereignty. And here's a question I think we need to ask a lot, whatever sermon it may be, but especially as we're talking about big, huge ideas of God's characteristics and traits, why in the world is God's sovereignty a big deal? Like, why, why did I show up here to listen to you knucklehead talk about sovereignty? Why? Is it so important? And I think, guys, it's mainly because it's one of Scripture's most dominant themes. But it's quite possibly one of the most neglected truths that God is the divine potter the master potter, and we are but clay. 
It's a, it's a visible and a tangible way to express that God is in control and that we need to submit to God's divine plans and his purposes. Guys, this is a message that is loud and clear to Jeremiah. It should be loud and clear to us as well that God is sovereign. God plans and accomplishes what God chooses to do. Guys, ultimately, sovereignty means that God is going to have his way in all things for all time. And as I say that, and I say that over and over in this sermon, it should inspire in you hopefulness. Because you don't have to be in control. Somebody else in your life doesn't have to be in control. Your circumstances don't have to be in control. Nothing has to be in control except for one person, God. And the greatest truth of all is, there's no doubt about it, God is completely in control of all things. You know, I like to generally capture the meaning of a word, and I'm glad that Eddie this morning in his communion meditation referenced the dictionary. You know, like, what in the world does a word like sovereign or sovereignty mean? And you would think to yourself, a dictionary, but guys, really, a dictionary sometimes is the best Bible study resource and tool that we have. Whenever we come across a word in Scripture, like, I really don't know if I get that. We say that a lot, but I'm not sure what that means. Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary tells us that used as a noun sovereign, sovereignty is all about one possessing supreme political power and authority, an acknowledged leader. As an adjective, it carries the meaning of being the most exalted kind, having, I love this phrase in this term here, undisputed ascendancy. It doesn't it just sound like, oh. Can also be described as above or superior to all others, chief, greatest in power or rank, excellent, outstanding. Guys, this to me is really the best way. This phrase right up here is the best way. How do I understand what sovereignty is really about? God is in control. Amen? That's it. If you hear that word from now on, that's all I want you to think. You come across sovereign Lord. God has sovereignty. You just substitute that and you put in there. I know you're not supposed to add things to the Bible, but I don't think we're adding things to the Bible. God is in control. In anything and everything that life can throw our way, God is in control and he can use it for our maturing and our flourishing and for his glory. I would say it this way, guys, that God is large and in charge and guess what? We aren't. Not, not, not even one little single iota. Guys, God has a right to do with us and through us what he thinks is best. Again, catch it here in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 4. It says, he, he crushed it into a lump of clay, this, this jar that he was trying to make because it wasn't working out. He crushed it into a lump of, uh, of clay again, and he started over. In another translation, it says that that potter crushed it as seemed good to the potter to make it. I love that language. As seemed good to who? To us? To the people around him? To the people admiring his work? No, to the potter. Guys, I think that the most comforting and yet at the same time the most challenging aspect of the nature of God is his sovereignty. 
I'm going to say some things this morning that you're going to be like, man, I don't know if I really am jiving with that or not. Okay, that's fine. But it really doesn't matter because God is sovereign and God is in control. Guys, isn't it really comforting? This is what I think of when I think of sovereignty. Isn't it comforting to know that there has never, ever, there will never, ever be an occasion or a moment in your life where God is caught by surprise? Something happens to you, and it may be a surprise to you, but God goes, I saw that coming. I knew that that was going to happen. Whatever we find ourselves in, wherever we find ourselves in life, is only there, and we are only there in that moment because God, in his sovereign wisdom, has seen fit for us to be there, to go through whatever we are going through in life. It kind of reminds me of the story of the cowboy who was applying for for health insurance, and the agent was going through his list of questions, and he routinely asked this one question over and over through the application process, have you ever had any accidents, a cowboy? And the cowboy replied in kind of a surprising way, to me at least, he says, well, well no, I've not had any accidents, because I was bitten by a rattlesnake, and a horse did kick me in the ribs, and that laid me up for a while, but no, I haven't had any accidents. Yeah, that's what that agent did. He just kind of laughed like that, and he said, "What? I'm confused. A rattlesnake bit you. A horse kicked you. Weren't those accidents? And he said, no, they, they did that on purpose. Guys, sovereign is a, a word that means that God does everything on purpose and with power and with authority. Whenever things go sour, whenever things go south, whenever things seem out of control in your life, God isn't. Nothing is ever forced on you. Nothing ever happens to you without it going through the strong and capable hands of a mighty God. Isn't that reassuring? Like, seriously, guys, you just think about your last week, and I guarantee you there was at least one thing in your last week, there were probably about a thousand things, that really tried you, that really had you wondering, that really had you doubting, And every single thing that you went through this week, good and bad, went through the fingers of a strong and a capable and a mighty God. Unforeseen circumstances are everywhere around us. But our sovereign God knows nothing about unforeseen circumstances. He has seen the the end from the beginning and our lives are not shaped by blind chance. No accidents. No happenstances in God's eyes because his wisdom and his foresight don't allow for accidents or hiccups. And guys, that's not to say, I'm not here this morning to say that bad things don't happen. We know very well that bad things do happen. But it means that even in the bad things that happen, that's already known to God. Well before they even happen. That he can take even the bad things in life and he can turn them to good by the power of his divine plan. I often think about it this way, guys. We, none of us knows. We are sitting here right now on a Sunday morning. We have no idea, number one, what's going to happen to us when we step outside that door. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And although we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and what tomorrow will bring, we believe in a God who already holds tomorrow and several tomorrows in his hands. That's 
Amazing to me. That's sovereignty. That's power. We do not believe in fate. We believe in the Father. Even when we don't all understand all the details in our life, the divine potter works for the good of those who love him. You turn really quick and keep your finger in Jeremiah 18. Now I'm going to go to Romans chapter 8. This is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, and it's probably one of the most messed up verses in the Bible by people's interpretation of it. Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, there's a really great chapter in the Bible. He comes to verse 28 and he says, we, I love how he says this too, we, we know with all confidence, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God causes everything, that word there again, we won't play our Greek game, what do you think that word means in Greek? Everything. Every single thing in your life to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about what exactly that means as we parallel it with Jeremiah 18 here in just a minute. The book of Romans here, guys, tells us that God works all things, everything together for his glory. And the word that is used there, the Greek word is synergeo. What does that sound like to you? The word what? Synergy. It's where we get our English word synergy from. And synergy, guys, is when you take a whole bunch of things, individual things that seemingly appear random, and they appear unconnected, and you put them all together, and the result of what you get is way more than all of them alone can be when they're put together. Now, here's what the book of Romans tells us. It tells us, and I want you to really clearly understand this, because this gets messed up all of the time. What Paul is saying in the book of Romans here is that God works all things together for his glory and our good. It doesn't mean that, guys, God just gives us all good things. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that he's only going to, to bless us and he's, going, he's only and always going to just lift us up. But what it says is he can take every single thing in your life, the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything in between, and he can take it and make it be exactly the plan that he wants it to be. It may not be your plan. It may not be my plan. But it is his plan. And we've been talking about his plan is sovereign. Every circumstance of every event in life is either planned or permitted by God. God can do whatever he plans with clay in his hands. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, of all the Christian doctrines, that God's children should enjoy and know about, what brings them the most comfort and should bring them the most comfort is the doctrine of God's sovereign control. I just want to stop for a moment and just have you consider, what, what are you, as you're sitting here right now, going through in your life that feels hard? Or it feels unfair? Or it feels depressing? Or it feels impossible. What, what has you in life feeling like things are just utterly out of control? 
And the second question I would ask of that is, what would it look like in your life and all of those things that you're thinking about right now, and you're like, thank you very much, Ryan. I came here to write, not think about those things, but you've made me think about those things. And now I have anxiety, and now I'm sweating, and that's all I'm thinking about right now. Stop. What would it look like in all of those things, in all of those moments, to stop fighting, to stop resisting, and start trusting your sovereign father? Because as we said, he is a God who has it all under control. Skip Heitzig says, though you cannot always and often control what happens to you, you are responsible and you can control what happens in you. And what he's talking about there is our, our attitudes, our approaches to life. And that doesn't mean that we walk around and be like, you know, everything's hunky-dory, it's good, life's falling apart, but I'm supposed to be happy about this. No, you're not. But you should have an attitude that, you know what? Life is crumbling. Life feels like it's falling apart. But I have a God who isn't. I have a God who is solid and stable and consistent. And what's this word we're talking about this morning? Sovereign in all things. Guys, if you are a believer, and that's what Romans 8 would lead us to believe, for those who are in Christ, if you are a believer, there has never been a place that you've been where you've been alone and apart from God. He has been with you. He has walked with you. He has led you. He was and is in control. God is in control at the exact place that you find yourself in life right now, right here today. And not just here today, but beyond that, every single day of your life. God is the grand scriptwriter. He is the divine stage manager, moving all the set pieces into place and putting them exactly where he wants them to be. So what I want to do with the time that I have left here is I want to look at the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 and Jeremiah's lesson that he gets in chapter 18 to see what God might be saying to us. Because there is a very clear interpretation of what's happening in Jeremiah 18. It really is for the nation of Israel, but the application for it is universal to all of us. What is God saying truly about him being the potter and us being the clay. And the first thing that I want you to, to note and to notice and, and write down if you want to is, guys, first and foremost, God created us. And God wants to use us. Romans 8.28, the words that I love there is he says that he did all of this according to his purpose for us. I encourage you later, jot down, go, go read Psalm 139, the first four verses and about, the, and about verse 13 and 14. It's a very familiar section of Scripture. Oh Lord, he says, you know me. You know everything about me. When I sit and when I lie down, when I go out, where, wherever I'm at, you know me. And then he comes and talks about how we are so delicately put together. We are gods, and the word he uses there is workmanship, his masterpiece. We are literally and personally, think about it this way, God's pottery. Guys, there is something basic to all of us on earth. We share humanity and what humanity means. And humanity is closely related to the word, wouldn't you know it, that means earth or 
clay. It's the word humus, the word we get human from. This is likely what Paul is referring to in another one of his letters when he talks about us being jars of clay. God's sovereignty, guys, is more than just a mysterious concept for theological thinkers. It is a glorious source of strength that brings assurance, enduring hope, and joy in an otherwise out-of-control world. We, we, guys, we are merely, and everything else in this world is merely clay in the hands of the master potter, shaped by the hands of a sovereign God to accomplish the purpose or the purposes for which we have been called and made. But if we put ourselves and we submit ourselves into the hands of our Creator, we will be useful for any work that He calls us to. We're able to have confidence in the midst of the most chaotic circumstances in life. But it's, it's one thing for us to know, yes, that's great. I hear it here with Jeremiah saying, Isaiah talks about God being a potter and us being clay. Paul himself in Romans chapter 9 will talk about us being pot, pottery and, and, or clay and, and God being the potter. But it's one thing to know that God is the potter. It's an, another thing entirely to answer another really important question. If we know that God is the potter, Will we acknowledge that? Will we truly acknowledge that in our lives? Will we pay lip service to it? Or will we live that way in our lives? To say we are, we're clay in the hands of the potter acknowledges God's handiwork as the master potter or creator of our physical body and our lives. It recognizes God's authority to shape us inwardly and to spiritually fashion us into a vessel fit for his use. Guys, God is a merciful and a righteous potter. He is not just a puppet master pulling strings, playing with our lives. He is leading our lives. He is guiding our lives. He is shaping our lives to be what he wants us to be. And that is such an important idea. It is such an important thing for us to catch on to. And I want you to know that's the next thing. That not only do we acknowledge and know that God created us and he wants to use us, but the second thing is, guys, that God is very, really, and truly trying to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the point of all of this is. That's what the point of your life is. Every single thing that you go through in life, and especially the difficult things in life, God is trying to shape us into what he wants us to be. Listen again here in verse 4 of Jeremiah chapter 18. This jar that he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, and so he crushed it. That is a very graphic word there. He crushed it into a lump of, get, of clay again, and he started over. Guys, we, we have the ability, and you know it very well, it's not just an ability, it's an actuality in our lives. We have a, the actuality of resisting and fighting against God at every turn. The God, the potter who is shaping our lives through good circumstances and very bad circumstances, we can fight against him. But really and truly, I wish, I wish that I understood this. At every moment that 
we're fighting a losing battle when we fight God. When we're pushing against God. You remember the moment in, in Acts when Saul is persecuting the Christians and he's struck blind on the road to Damascus. Jesus meets him there and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he uses a very interesting phrase. And in the older translations, he says, why do you kick against the goads? You know what the goad was, right? A goad was a stick, a very sharp stick that you would use to, to poke any animal that you wanted to do something. And in our stupidity as humans sometimes, we're like, you know, that seems a really good idea. I'm going to push back against that really pointy stick that God is using in my life to get me to go where he wants me to go. Why do you kick against the pointy stick is what Jesus says to Paul there. To every one of you in here, why in the world are you kicking against God? You are the clay. He is a potter. And what he is wanting to do is to shape you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. One of the emperors of the Roman Empire was a man by the name of, of Julian. And Julian was so despicable and horrible and hated Christians so much that he was termed and known as Julian the Apostate. He wanted to do whatever he could to eradicate Christianity and Christians from his empire. And it's said that towards the end of his life, he had a very simple and interesting phrase that he said when he realized what he had done his entire life to, to kick against the goads, if you will. He said, Thou has conquered me, O Galilean. He's speaking to Jesus here. Upon Julian's death, he recognized that I fought against you, Christ, and I lost. Guys, if you are on God's side, you can't lose. But if you are not on God's side, you are never going to win in life. And we wonder sometimes, man, why in the world does life hurt so much? Is it possibly because we are resisting God and he is constantly taking us as a lump of clay and crushing us? And then beginning to make us again and what he wants us to be. And then we again decide, you know what? I've got a better idea. Hey, God, like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Let me get in here real quick. And I'm going to do it. And that's what we do. We try to take control back from God. And he says, all right, I'm going to have to do it again. Crush. And here we go again. I'm going to make you into what I want you to be. Over and over and over again. We resist and we relent we don't submit to what God is calling us to be and to do but Jeremiah has one more nugget for us that God created us he wants to use us that God is doing everything in this life that we experience to shape us into the image of his son Jesus Christ and here is to me the most hopeful message of Jeremiah 18 these first few verses here is that God is not just making us he is not just using us. He is not just molding us. But God's skilled hands have the capacity to reshape and to remake us. Again, back at verse 4, there's a very simple phrase here. He crushed that lump of clay again and he started over. The original translation of that phrase there is that he made it again another vessel. Here's the question that I have at the end of the day, guys. Will we ever change? 
Will we ever, and what Jeremiah really is talking about here in this specific interpretation to Israel is, will you ever repent? Will you ever relent internally and attitudinally? Will you change the way that you see your life, that you are not in control? God is. And as marred and as twisted as this lump of clay seemed to be, and although it failed to express the potter's thoughts and to be shaped in and, and by his creative devices, do you hear what happens here in this scenario? The potter does not abandon this lump of clay. No matter what happens, guys, let's stop for a minute in Jeremiah 18. We're not talking about a lump of clay. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. We're talking about every single life. This is the mercy and the grace and the patience and the long-suffering of our God that he never just leaves us. He never just crushes us and then says, you're done. He never blows into that piece of pottery and just blows it to smithereens and just walks away from it. He remakes us. He reshapes us into what he wants us to be. One theologian says the lesson of this image, of this entire story here, the whole thought process of a potter and a clay in Scripture is all about remaking us for better or for worse. David Faust in the Lookout magazine says when imperfections emerged, the potter didn't throw away the clay. He made something new out of it and he continued to fulfill broken heart and she had served the Lord faithfully all of her adult life in various capacities and all the time all that she dreamed of is to be a missionary who would take the gospel to Africa that's all she wanted with her life God just give me this and when her plans finally seemed to be moving forward and everything seemed to be coming together everything came to a screeching halt because she lacked the financial resources to do what she wanted to do in life. And while she was at this prayer meeting and she was hardly able to focus on what was going on around her, she was struck by the words of another person in that prayer meeting that night who prayed simply this. And I think this is a great prayer. Jot this one down and start praying this in your life. Lord, it doesn't really matter what you do with us. Just have your own way with our lives. And as that lady that sat there that night and, and she left that prayer meeting, she could not get that idea out of her mind. Just have your own way with our lives. And later that evening, she sat meditating on the exact chapter that we have been reading this morning, Jeremiah chapter 18. And one thing in particular caught this woman's eye in Jeremiah 18. It was the fact that the potter recognized that some blemish or some imperfection that would make the pot unusable. And, and so what, what that potter did was he shaped that pot again. And as she thought about that, she wondered where, whether the delay and the frustration in her life and in her dreams was God's way of further shaping her and further refining her for greater usefulness in life. And before going to bed that night, Adelaide Pollard wrote out all four stanzas to the now well-known hymn. Have your own way, Lord. Have 
potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. You know, guys, as she wrote all of those words, she, she did not know. Just like we don't always know in life what's going to come. But I love that last word there, next to last word there, is it yield. Yielded and still is the way that first stanza ends. She was willing to yield her life, to relent to the potter, and that she was going to be the clay. Now, Adelaide Pollard eventually made her way to Africa, but it was all in God's divine time and in His sovereignty. And I don't want to leave you the story this morning and be like, that was a, look at that story there at the end. Everything always works out. Everything doesn't always work out. Everything doesn't end with a happy ending and resolution. But guys, it does not have to for us to know that God is in control and we are simply content in life to let God have his own way. Again, I don't know where you are in your life and what you're struggling with in life, and I can only imagine that the words of God this morning have touched on someone, at least someone's nerve in here this morning about what he can do with our lives. That he is sovereign. That he is before all things. He is in all things. He rules all things. He controls all things in life. And because of that, we should with our lives just simply say to God, what's that phrase again? Have your way, God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we sit here this morning as I stand here this morning. It sounds like a great phrase, have your way with us, but it is such a difficult thing to pray. I, I pray, Lord, that in your grace and in the power of your spirit, you would allow us to say that every single day. We would wake up with that attitude. Have your way. And not only we would just have that attitude, but we would in our lives live in such a way that we submit and we yield to whatever you are doing in our lives. And that's so difficult, Lord. The things that we experience in life that seem so unfair, that seem so unlike what you want us to experience, Lord, that we would say, God, you are taking all things, every single thing in this life, and you are using it. And you will use it for good, for the glory of your name. Lord, we thank you so much that you have formed us, that you use us, that you shape us, and that, Lord, you are constantly remaking broken lives and broken dreams. We say all of these things. We pray all of these things. We live into all of these things in praise and adoration and honor of you, God.
our Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.